Welcome to the Bible Foundations program. This is Jerry Smythe, your host, and once again, I'm just delighted to have you with us as we continue our excursion through the Bible, giving the Word of God in chronological order so that we can understand God's message to you and I today. Now, I'd just like to take a moment today before we begin our lesson of the day and uh, just remind us as to why we're going through the Bible in chronological order, in the order that it happened according to the calendar. And the reason for that is so that we can understand that God is speaking to people, people just like you and I, and he's telling us about his interaction with people so that we can understand several things about him. Now, remember that the Bible is his story. Now, we cannot truly understand the character and nature of God until we've understood God himself as a person, that he is a living being that he has a mind and emotion and will, and that he is one who desires things, and that he plans things, and that he knows how to accomplish what he desires. And there we see also that he is uh, omnipotent or all-knowing, all-wise, and all-powerful, that he knows all about everything. He knows how to do everything. He knows how to do everything in such a way that it will continue to accomplish his will, even as example in the plant life that was uh, created and put in the garden by God himself. All of this just for you and I, my friend, just for mankind to demonstrate his love to us. And so as we've studied the early chapters of Genesis, we see that God is all-knowing and he's all-wise. He knew what was best for mankind, and he demonstrated that to us in the, uh, in the lessons that we've had from God's Word in the earlier chapters of Genesis. And we understand by the very creation of the world, he's demonstrated his power, that he is able to do whatever he desires. And he causes things to be brought in order, to be brought about, to be uh, put together in such a way that they keep reproducing and that the sun and the moon and the stars do not fail. They just keep coming up because God set them in their patterns. And we see that the oceans have their boundaries because God set them in their patterns. And he said, this is as far as you go. And we see that God is everywhere all at once. He is spirit. He is God who demonstrates himself to us as more than one person. Why? Because he has to communicate to our limited minds that he is beyond our minds. God delights in demonstrating to us that he is more than we can comprehend because he's so much more than we are that he demonstrates himself as a trinity to us. He is calling himself as he unfolds understanding of himself through interaction with mankind and his creation. He says, I am God the Father. I am God the Son. I am God the Holy Spirit. One God. And yet demonstrated to us in three persons. Well, then he goes on and he continues to demonstrate to us his character. His character is different than ours, and it is the standard that he sets by his own interaction to show us what is right and what is pure and what is holy and what is just and what is consistent and what is merciful and what is gracious. You see, these are the words that describe the very character of God. You see, God is perfect. He's very righteous. That is, there is no wrong in him whatsoever. No wrong whatsoever. And all standards are set by him because, my friend, he is the owner of all things. 
being God, being the creator, he owns everything that he has made, and he even owns you and I yet today, and he owns our very life and breath. And he gives us a standard to understand him by, and that standard is his own perfection, his own purity, his own holiness. You see, we know that we are not holy because we're so surrounded with evil. Our very thoughts and intents of our hearts are like those so often before the days of Noah, before the days of the flood. You see, we continually reject thinking about God. We continually set aside the things that would draw our allegiance to him. That's our very nature, you see. That's why the scripture tells us that we are not all children of God, but that from the time of Adam being thrown out of the garden, his family were children of Satan. Their allegiance was to Satan because they chose to sin. They chose to believe Satan rather than to believe God. And that curse is on every one of us today, my friend. And God, in his perfect character, in his perfect holiness, does not turn his back on his people, though he is a just God. And he realizes that that woman was originally deceived. And even though her husband willfully made the choice to sin against God and not believe God. God did not turn his back on them in the garden, and he does not turn his back on us today. Even though we are sinners, my friend, what does God expect of us? He expects us to understand what he is saying to us, for he's put it right here in our own language, in plain English, yet preserved clear back from the time of the originals. The word of God has been kept pure, and it communicates to you and I today so that we can know the character of our God. You see, the character of our God is consistent and unchanging. He keeps his word he does not waver in his decisions, and he never turns his back on his creation, you see. And that's a picture of his mercy. You see, mercy does not give us what we de deserve, at least without time to repent. You see, we see that through the recordings of the Scripture. We see that God gave 1,500 years. And over that 1,500 years from Noah to the flood, or what it may have been more like 1,800 years, but over that period of time, there was the message of the truth going out through all generations that God is God and that he expects us to believe him and to come to him his way. You see, in spite of their being judged for their sin on this earth, Adam and Eve still believed God. Yes, they were paying the consequence of their sin being shut out of the garden. And they saw the consequence of their sin as Cain murders Abel. Their first, two, first son murders the second one. But their third son was still given the truth that God had given to them. The promise of the deliverer. The promise of the one who would deliver them from the power of Satan. You see, they, they were now under the control of Satan. And that's where we are today. You and I, our allegiance, anything that is not allegiance to God is allegiance to Satan. You see, that's our very nature. That's our desire to be independent of God without even thinking about him. You see, we carry on our daily lives. But God wants us to see that his book was given to us to show us our need of him. And he wants us to come to him, admitting that, yes, we are sinners. We are in allegiance to Satan by our very nature. And he wants us 
to turn and change our minds about being in allegiance to Satan and come to him his way. And he shows us the pattern of how he wants us to come to him through blood sacrifice. For death is the payment for sin and the death of animals was to remind those sinners who came to God, God's way, all the way through the line of Seth, clear to Noah, and now to the time of Abraham, they all were coming the same way, the way God instructed them, being reminded by the bloodshed of animals that death is the payment for sin, and the only way that one can come to God is God's way. Well, God gave grace to those who were in need. You see, that's what grace is. God shows his mercy by not giving us what we deserve without time to repent. He gave people 120 years as Noah was building the ark to repent. He gives time today. His judgment is stayed yet today because he's giving us time to change our mind about our personal sin, about our need for God, and to turn to God from our sin, you see. And that's what we see God demonstrating as we see him saying, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a sinner. He deserved the same judgment. The difference was he believed the promises of God passed down from Adam to Seth and on through his ancestors and now down to himself. And he's passing that on to his children. And that's why God found, uh, gave grace to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, you see. And grace is what God gives as what is needed, not what is deserved. You see, we deserve punishment, but God gives grace and shows us a way of escape. And that's just what he did for Noah. He had him build the ark, and he built the ark so perfectly, just exactly the way God wanted it built. And you know, when the time came and all the animals were in, God said, now, Noah, you and your family, go in the ark and get ready because my promises are coming true. And I've promised that the soul that sinneth it shall die. The one who refuses to believe me shall die in their sin and be cut off forevermore. And then as they were inside, God shut the door. And he kept them safe in that ark until the day came when the floods receded and they were allowed and were allowed out and they were given charge of the earth and told to be plentiful or to be fruitful and to multiply. You see, God gives what is needed in a situation, not what is deserved here. That's what he did for Noah. He provided in his grace. His undeserving, Noah didn't deserve favor, but God gave him undeserved favor and provided a way of escape from that judgment. Now, that's a principle that we need to remember as we move on now through the life of Abraham. Now, we see that the generations after Noah rebelled against God themselves as well, but there were always those who believed, and that's what the Bible records. It gives us the line of those who believed in the coming deliverer, the deliverer that would be born of the world. And now God is choosing and calling Abram, whose first name was Abram, before God did a marvelous work in his life. And Abram then was uh, the to be the ancestor of the deliverer. Now you'll remember that God told Abram, and we're in the latter part of Genesis chapter 11, and in the first part of Genesis 12, God told Abram to leave his own country and to go to a place where God would lead him to. Now, folks, how would you like to just leave your family and uh, and just go without thinking about where, where 
you weren't sure where you were going. Now, some of your ancestors did that, and so did mine. My ancestors came uh, from Ireland and from England, and uh, they settled in Canada and eventually came down here. They didn't all know where they were going. But it was even more of a blind step of faith for Abram as he now gathers up his family and his camels and whatever else he had and packed up his tents, and they headed off through the desert heading out to where God would lead them to do. You see, God promised them that they would have children that would be the lineage of the Deliverer, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through them. What a promise and what a critical point in history it is for us to understand as God promises and reaffirms his promise of the Deliverer to you and I, for you and I today, that we as all the families of the earth would be blessed through this promise to Abram. Now we'll be reminded for a moment that, uh, that God spoke directly to Abram. But today God speaks to people through his word. Verification of that in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1, 2, and 3 are critical to understand this particular perspective. So God chose Abram even though he was a sinner, you see. Abram, too, was born outside of the garden. His family were idol worshipers. They were worshipers of evil spirits, and they performed sacrifices of children on altars that were absolutely unspeakable, my friend. But Abram believed God, and even though he was a sinner, God promised that through him would the deliverer come. You see, my friend, before God, there aren't any righteous people. There aren't any people that are better than others, that are more holy than others. The Bible says we are all sinners before God, and we need to agree with God in that respect because that's the first perspective in coming to God God's way. Now, the point of recognizing that we, like Abram, are sinners born, severed from our relationship with God, the kind of a relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden, we don't have that relationship, you see, and therefore we're sinners. And the point is that Abram believed God, and because he believed God, he obeyed God. You see, it's a critical thing to understand that you and I must have faith in order to please God and be saved. You see, we must believe that God is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we by nature have no desire to seek God. We could go through life without ever knowing about him if somebody was not faithful to declare the righteousness of God to us. And somebody was faithful to pass that on to Abram, you see, because his environment and his circumstances were that of living in adultery. Uh, idolatry. It was an idolatrous world, a sinful world, and uh, his family came from a, he was from a family that did not worship God. Now, how it was that he heard about God and knew God? You know, the heavens declare the glory of God, and it's very likely that the Spirit of God just caught the attention of Abram as he looked up into the stars and recognized that there was a living being in control of all of this stuff. See, you and I can come to God just like that. But you see, Abram, like Noah, was surrounded with men and women who scorned God and who followed after their own evil desires. Abram and Sarai were were childless, you see, but God was making a promise to them, even though they did not yet have any children. And in spite of this environment and their circumstances, Abram believed God's promises. 
Abram believed that God would send the deliverer and that the deliverer would be one of his descendants. Abram, like Noah, believed God's word. And for that reason, he obeyed God. Now let's look at Genesis 12, verses 4 and 5. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and, his, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, into the land of uh, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now, into the land of Canaan they came was the end of a very long journey. Now, the Bible tells us, and this is a historical fact, it's a record, and very many uh, things are able to confirm the uh, factuality of this uh, account of Abram's life and the places that are listed here in the Bible. For example, the country of Ur, where he came from. That can be found on a map. I have a map in front of me, and we're talking about the uh, southeast corner of Iraq. That's where it was, all oh, about 100 miles from the Kuwaiti border, maybe 150 miles northwest of the uppermost tip of water on the Persian Gulf. That's where Abram got to know his Lord, and the Lord told him that he was to go clear to the land of Canaan. But he didn't go directly to the west from there because that's great desert. The, Saudi, uh, Saudi, the Arabian desert is there. Saudi Arabia would have to have been crossed, what we call it today, and Jordan and then over into Israel, which is the land of Canaan. See, that was the land that God was promising. But they followed uh, the river called, known to us as the Euphrates River, and that's a biblical uh, river that's been recorded from the time of Adam and Eve. And they traveled apparently along that river for about 600 miles to the north, clear into Turkey. And in Turkey is a land or is a city that was called Haran. And that's where Abram and Sarai spent many years there. And that's where idol worship was taking place by his very family. And in, up until this time, he was traveling with his great extended family, you see. And now God says to him, go down. Go down southwest from there through Syria and through Lebanon and past Damascus and into the area that I am calling Canaan or what we would know as Israel along the Mediterranean Sea. Now, once again, let me remind you as we studied the story of Abram that he was a real person in history. Now, the Bible records history and it's true history because God was there and he had it written down with accuracy and has been preserved for us to this day. You see, Abram is mentioned many times through the Old and the New Testament of the Bible. And archaeological discoveries at Ur and the uh, northern towns of Mari and Ebla and other ancient sites agree with the details in the Bible concerning the life of Abram's time. That is about 2,000 years before Christ. Recently, many details have come to light about the travel and trade and marriage and family and even the common names which agree with this biblical account. Now, before Abram left Ur, he uh, was promised by God several things. First of all, God promised him that he would show him the place that he was to go to. And he traveled north, and he may have thought that he was there yet, but he wasn't there yet. 
He had traveled north for almost 600 miles, and in the process, God had made the promise to him that he would make him a great nation. And he said, I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And in verse 3, chapter 12, it says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now we see as Abram heads southwest toward Canaan or toward Israel, we see that Abram was a very rich man and had many servants and cattle and sheep and goats, and he took everything he owned with him. Now, it's quite impossible for us to understand everything that was involved in such a journey or even how long it took. You see, Abram's decision to be obedient to God and to follow God was not a mere whim of desire for adventure, you see. It wasn't just settling the West, as important as that was. Abram made a decision to go because he believed God. Can you imagine pulling up stakes and taking off? to a land with all of your family and all of your possessions and heading for a strange country, all just in obedience to God, whom your neighbors would were scoffing at? Well, people would ridicule you and you wouldn't feel too good about going, but you still did what God wanted you to do, see? Now remember that Abraham was a man of wealth and of good standing and people were certainly watching him and they didn't understand where he was going or why. You see, the, the city that Abram had left earlier, uh, Ur of the Chaldees, was an urban center with houses and temples and similar to that of those at Babel. And the remains of the city of Ur can be seen in the country of Iraq today. Now Abram had to travel and live in tents. And in spite of inconvenience and social pressures, Abram believed God and he obeyed him trusting all his family and possessions and reputation into God's care. You see, Abram realized that God was totally worthy of his trust. Now you remember that Lot, Abram's nephew, went along with him, with Abram and Sarai. Lot also believed God and trusted in his promises. The Bible records that for us in several places. But my friend, God is faithful and he never changes. He always keeps his word. And the Lord faithfully guided Abram to Canaan, the land that he had promised to give him. And there we find that as they settled in that area in their tents and continued to raise their cattle and their sheep and their uh, oxen and whatever else they may have had, they believed God and God continued to prosper them. And Lot also became very rich like his uncle. Let's read about it in chapter 13 of Genesis, verses 5 through 7. And Lot also went with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land then also. So the people, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, were the people who dwelled in the land in that area at that time. And when Lot and Abram settled in that area, the land that they were in became very crowded. And it became very difficult to water at the same holes and things of that nature. They'd all kind of herded themselves together. But now there was a necessary solution to be found. A necessary solution to keep their keep the families 
uh, at peace with each other. Now God had promised to give Abram wisdom for all of the situations and wisdom he had. And he made a proposal to Lot, which we find in Genesis 13, verses 8 and 9. Read it along with me, if you will, please. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abram knew that the purposes of God would not be accomplished by strife between them. So he says, the land is great. You choose what you would like. You take the one way and I'll go the other. There's plenty of room for both of us. Now let's read what Lot's choice was in verses 13, or chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. Like unto the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zor. And Lot chose him the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. So Lot looks around and he sees what is very, very attractive land. Very attractive land indeed, for he chose the grassy plain, which he thought would be best for his animals. You see, even though Lot believed and trusted God, he wasn't thinking of what was best thing for him and his family and how this move would affect their knowledge of God or their ability to please God. Lot was probably thinking of how he could make more money. That's what's critical, isn't it? You see, he was driven as to how he could continue to prosper. And some terrible things happened to Lot because of this choice. Now remember some other foolish choices that we've seen up to up to now in our study. Remember Cain's foolish choice in his decision to ignore God. All of his de descendants were drowned in the flood. That was the result of his choice, you see. And we need to be careful of the choices we make in our society because we are continually pressured to make choices about things that really have no eternal value. How can we make more money seems to control us. What shall we buy? Where will we go? What will we do tomorrow? And what about our deserved and earned vacation? But you see, the real issues of life are seldom mentioned. What about our relationship to God? What do our children know about God? What do our grandchildren know about God? And what has God written for us in his word? And what about the penalty of our sins? In Proverbs 14, 12, we read, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, if a person chooses to turn away from learning what God has written to him from the Bible, that person will regret it forever. We do not want to face the fact that God has prepared a place of punishment for those who turn against him. Satan doesn't want us to think about it. But the lake of fire, my friend, is a real place. And it's where Satan and all of his followers, all of the devils, all of the evil spirits that followed him when he rebelled against God, and everyone who refuses God will spend eternity. And what good will it do us to own everything in the world if we die and go to hell? Nobody today wants to talk about these things. We're continually urged 
to have more and more things and think less and less about God. And things in our society have replaced God. They are our gods, if you will. And God calls us through his word, and he pleads with us to listen to him and believe what he has said to us. Now we see that Abram stayed up in the rocky, less fertile hills in the mountains. And Lot, he moves down into the fertile plains. In the eyes of men, it would seem that Abram was the loser. In the eyes of, uh, and that is in this division of territory. But God knows the truth, which we cannot see on the surface of things. Now let's read God's account in Genesis 13, verses 12 and 13. And Abram dwelled in the land of Cana, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and in sinners before the Lord exceedingly. You see, down on those beautiful fertile plains, there were two cities known to us today as Sodom and Gomorrah. And these cities were very wicked. God said, exceedingly. They were wicked exceedingly. And the people who lived there didn't want to know about God. And they didn't want to do what he wanted them to do. They were only thinking of themselves and of the evil things they were doing. You see, God knew all about this. And he would have told Lot if Lot had asked. But instead of asking, Lot just seemed to look for what was best for him. Now join me again tomorrow as we, uh, as we study God's understanding of the situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. Thank you for being with us on Bible Foundations.